Welcome to the Dropship Podcast, where you'll learn how to build and grow a high-ticket dropshipping business and hear stories from successful e-commerce entrepreneurs. Let's kick this thing off. Hey, welcome to the Dropship Podcast. And today we want to talk about B2B dropshipping. So business to business dropshipping. We get a lot of questions. What's the difference? How do I handle it? Why are these industries more appealing? Or maybe they're not more appealing. What are the differences? I think it's the same. I literally think it's the same. I think you're just speaking slightly different language. And there are some nuances as far as like how you take orders and things like that. But I don't know. I think it's about the same. Honestly, a lot of industries that you're in, it's both. So I can't think of one where you're like, I only sell these products B2B. That could be the avatar you've chosen. And if you really spoke to B2B, you could own the B2B side of things. But for the most part, it's going to come whether you want it to come or not. So when I sold 3D printers, of course, I was selling to a lot of enthusiasts and things like that. But schools reached out, businesses reached out, universities reached out, and I sold to all of them. And Honestly, those orders are kind of fun when you get those really big orders. And certainly in my first year, six months in, I got a $25,000 order. That was incredible. That was a, that was a pretty cool feeling. So I don't, I don't know. What, what do you think? What are the main differences that stand out if somebody wants to B2B dropship, if you will? Yeah, look, I think it's important to point out that there's not that many. I think a lot of people think of B2B ideas and they think, and they kind of avoid them. They're like, oh, that's going to be really tricky. And maybe the marketing's like completely different you know, it's, it's a little bit scary. And like a lot of people I know who do B2B kind of just fell into it. Like they're selling products that customers might buy. And they're, they're also, you, there's a version of that product that's like commercial. Like you think of coffee machines, you get the little ones you take, you have on your counter at home. And then there's like the big massive ones that a cafe might have, right? And you could sell both on the same site, which is to me kind of really cool. But a lot of people think it's like, it's going to be much harder or something like that. And I think I think the mindset shift a little bit is just like, even though it's a business, it's still a person on the other end, like in that business who's actually buying from you, you're still selling to people. Like you're not selling to a business. Like, I mean, sometimes, yeah, there's big organizations, like if you're dealing with universities, say, or government bodies, which once again, you can sell to them with a dropshipping business for sure. Um, but a lot of the time, even there, there's a person within that massive organization who's like searching they're on Google. They're going, mm. I, need, I need to fucking buy 10 of these things. Where am I getting them from? They're going to go and hit up Google. Yeah, they might think about what's my professional network look like and maybe they might get recommendations from people, but you'll still get a large portion of those people just by doing the same things that you do for your, um, you know, for your, for your regular customers. And one of the episodes, a couple of episodes back, I think, um, I mentioned Carla, one of our students who was at um, Dropship Breakthrough Live here in Australia. And... Um, her biggest order was $200,000 in a single order that was selling to a business, a charity, I believe, actually. And they were giving away all of those um, things to, you know, the people that they serve as like gifts, I believe. Carla can correct me if Have I'm you wrong. ever had any? Like I'm thinking back yeah. in mind, I've had a 24000 to a school and Brian and I had an $88,000 standing desk order, which was pretty cool. Yeah. Like so you see that, is... ching 88000 yeah. Like that's insane. Yeah. There is a like a concert hall or a big uh, like a theater where they do like plays and music and stuff in Melbourne that has five of my chandelier, chandeliers, big chandeliers all the way up there on the roof. And I think that was maybe $80,000 worth of chandeliers. They were about 20000 each or thereabouts, a bit less than 20000 each. Big crystal, you know, three-tier kind of chandelier things. Yeah. Uh, I didn't do anything special to get that sale. 
that person found me. Um, I definitely in that business had some mar- a few marketing strategies that I kind of were more proactively aimed towards businesses uh, because once again, selling chandeliers and lights, you had interior designers, architects, kind of like electrical contracting companies were often my customers there. Um, and yeah, that, it was really cool because there's more repeat business with usually with B2B you got higher average order values, right? Because they're not usually, they're often buying two, three, 10. In Carla's case, like over a hundred individual products. Um, and so you get higher average order values, which means more profit, more bottom line profit for you. And um, sometimes I think as well, they're just a bit easier too. Be, or there's less service because if they're buying a product that they use in the course of their business, you want to know they know that product, right? They don't need to ask a ton of questions. I think they're less likely to order the wrong thing. Mm. So you have less chance of a return as well. Like they're, they're kind of going to be, they're not coming to you because necessarily because you're the authority often. They're coming to you just so you can get them the thing they need to get the job done. Um, and so I, I personally really like B2B. And I know we've definitely in recent times looked at some B2B niches on um like purely b2b niches on the on our good niche bad niche episodes you think of like commercial cleaning for example that are just b2b and i I think there's if people say to me like weird you know i look at a lot of niche verifications in our program for our students if i if the only time i hear weird stuff that i'm like holy shit i never thought of that these days it tends to be on the b2b side Mm. Hey, if you've been thinking about starting your high-ticket dropshipping journey with us here at Dropship Breakthrough, but you've got questions, you're unsure about what's inside the course, you're unsure if it's right for you, or you just love to hear from the experience of, of our students, you can jump on a free call right now with a member of our team who is also a Dropship Breakthrough student and successful high-ticket dropshipper to talk about all of those things. Just head to dropshipbreakthrough.com forward slash call and book your call today. A lot. So what? You know, I want to go through this. Like, when you think of business, it's traffic and conversion, right? Yeah. That's the two pieces. So we can talk about how acquisition looks or how conversion is different. One thing I'll just throw out there, just to your point of like, it can be easier. It can be harder too, right? Like, mm. oftentimes in big businesses, there's so much bureaucracy. Yeah. Like, you're dealing with the buyer who needs to get permission from their manager, who needs to get permission from their manager, who needs to get permission from the CEO. Right. And somewhere in that chain, it can break down, and there can be changes that need to be made or confusion. So there's you know, there's some downsides to B2B too, mm. but at the same point, likely the person you're dealing with doesn't give a flying fuck about any of this. They have a budget, they have a problem they need to solve, and they just want it solved with as little headache as possible. And they, they aren't trying to save a dollar because that doesn't do them any good. In fact, they might want to spend their whole budget so that next year they get their whole budget again. Mm. And so you'll often see the end of the fiscal year, big business to business orders coming in and they're just, they're just simply trying to spend their money so that they have more next year. And it's a weird... Uh, can be a weird industry, right? So mm. depending whether you're dealing with a huge conglomerate or whether you're dealing with, you know, Bob and Sue's shop down the street, you're going to get very different yeah. outcomes in order size, in emails that you have to deal with or phone calls, things like that. And right. yeah, it's all different. I don't know. We should start with traffic though, right? So yeah. I think that's one of the biggest questions we get is how do I go find these people? And I think it's about the same. Right? Like yeah. they're going to Google and searching for things just like anyone else is. Yeah, that's right. I mean, businesses, when they want to find something, like I say, I mean, they, there, there may be like a, some sort of industry network or something that they're a part of, which and that leads on to another idea maybe that we'll come to. But 
um, that they can go and find like supplies. And sometimes like I know in Australia, like um, government organizations might have a list of pre-approved supplies of products that they're they're allowed to buy from. Hmm. You can totally go and get your name, your business's name on that list as well, by the way. Um, they'll, They'll have a process for that. Um, so it can sometimes look a little bit different, but particularly if you're on the sort of medium to smaller businesses, yeah, they're definitely hitting up Google most of the time to find what they want to buy. And so if you're there, Google shopping ads, SEO, maybe search text ads, uh, if there's particular business, um, type searches that they make, you know, like there, there might be people who search like commercial carpet cleaner rather than, you know, uh, what somebody might, somebody Who's, who's buying a vacuum cleaner for their home is not going to search that, right? Mm. Uh, and sometimes I think with B2B, it can be a good idea if you see those terms to hit them with search text ads as well. Um, but because Google Shopping might not always put up just the commercial products, do you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I want to say 90% the same. I think there's some additional things you can do that you can do on top of that, but that's going to be like the vast bulk of where that traffic is going to come from for sure. Well, it's little descriptors, like you said on Google, right? Commercial, yeah. bulk, yeah. Uh, wholesale, yeah. right? things like that. Trade. Net 30 shows up, and we'll talk about yeah. that a little bit. And so, you know, just paying attention to those keywords. Are they showing up? Google's going to show you for them, whether you want them to show you or not, right? And then do you have a place on your website? I think the easiest thing to do is simply put, get a quote in a menu bar and send that to a duplicate of your Contact Us page where you talk about, quotes and how you'd love to work on bulk orders and special pricing for bigger orders, things like that, and just get them to put in their information, what they're looking at and and give them a call. Make sure you give them a call right away and start sorting through that. But that's probably the easiest way to do that is pay attention to your search terms. Let Google send you the traffic that you're already showing up for and and make sure you're addressing that person because they are a different person. They have different needs. Yeah, right. Totally. Totally. The only other place I would say that I, I would definitely be... If I, from, for a lot of B2B stuff, I, I would be on LinkedIn in addition, I, I would make that. And, and I have done that in the past. Um, you know, LinkedIn has a lot, it, it, it can tie in really nicely as well with your SEO strategy. LinkedIn is a great place for content as well. So if you're making content for, you know, ranking purposes, you can convert that super easy to content for LinkedIn. Um, and LinkedIn is all about businesses, right? It's like a social network kind of for businesses. Um, and so it's very easy to put yourself in front of the exact business person you want to be. Cause if you get the paid version, basically with the sales navigator, navigator and everything, you can literally just search by industry, by job title, by mm. type of company, all of this sort of stuff. And you can actually buy that person who's sitting in that, find that person who's sitting in that company, you know, the purchasing manager for blah, 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 um, often, and you can reach out to them directly, uh, and Try to build a relationship with them before, they, before they're even looking for stuff, right? So that when they do come to look to stuff, and we always talk about how important relationships are, relationships over everything, um, they already know who you are, you know, and they can just reach out to you directly and find you. And so there's ways that you can do that on volume as well. You know, and I think that that would be definitely be something that I would be looking at. You know, you can pay for ads on there as well, right? You can run ads on LinkedIn. So it's a good, good place to be. There's some uh, gray hat methods I would consider They're too. And I've never been here. So I'm not, <laughs> these are just ideas. I've never actually done some of these, but I know some people, I met some people at masterminds who, you know, they could scrape 
anything you want scraped, right? You can go find this exact person. Here's the role I want, kind of like LinkedIn's doing, but they'll give you every email. They'll give you every email or every phone number to every business in, in America, right? They'll, they could set up a robot who will private message them for you on Instagram or or send out a ton of cold emails for you in the first place and, and get that ball rolling. I think there's a lot of ways that you could do this, but man, that's, that's a little further down the road, in my opinion. Like you have to establish a presence, you have to get reviews on your products. You have to understand how Google works and, and fill like I like, you know, the leaky bucket, right? Like make sure you have emails and remarketing and all this stuff set up so that you're not just sending a bunch of targeted traffic to the wrong place. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The next thing on our list is phones. And I think it's something we push a lot, whether that's calling your abandoned carts, answering your fucking phone in general, but like, most of this stuff's going to happen on the phone. It yeah. is very unlikely you're going to get an email. In fact, if you do get an email, it's fucking bullshit. And there is no shortage <laughs> of these emails that, that show up of like, my yeah. client in this country <laughs> is looking to buy 50 of these, right? And in fact, there's, there's a couple that our students have encountered. One of my consulting clients has encountered. It looks legit as fuck. They have a LinkedIn. They have a whole team on LinkedIn. They have a website. They have clients that are like casinos in, in Las Vegas, it's fake. It's fake as fuck. And it took a long time for us to sleuth that out. But I was shocked that they're getting that good at trying to fake you into accepting a wire. I'm not even sure how they send a wire and then revoke the wire. I don't even know how that's a thing. It's definitely a thing. I'm not sure how that works. But yeah, phones. If they're calling you on the phone, easy to assume they're a lot more legitimate than one of those fishy emails that I'm sure anyone who's running a business listening to this has gotten. Yeah, there's a couple of international shipping scams as well, mm. which I've come across not in a while, but like where they'll say, they'll do that. They'll contact you like, oh, my client in blah, blah, blah country wants to purchase 10 of these and they want to use their own freight though. So like, this is going to be the arrangement and da, 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 mm. da. And there's a, there's a couple of scams around that, which I've seen in the past. And I, I know some of our students have seen, but um, yeah, 100%. Like B2B people are going to contact you by phone because they want to often want to see what you can do because they want volume, like, can you actually do this volume? Or what can you do me a special price if I buy this volume? Or like, what's your arrangements with repeat business and blah, blah, blah. So yeah, 100%. You've got to, I think B2B is slight is, I mean, everything's relationship based, but I really think B2B is a bit more relationship based. Like if you can get a business customer, and they really like you. I mean, that that's going to keep paying you into the future. Whereas with a B2C customer, you know, you might only hear from them once they buy that product, they never come back again, right? Obviously we try to encourage them to buy other stuff, but B2B customers will keep buying the same product often mm. again and again. Um, and so, you know, you, you really want to make sure they understand that you, your role serving your customer is the thing that you're the most passionate about, you know, that the thing that you're really, that you do really well, better than anybody else in your market. Uh, that's going to keep them coming back for sure. You got to understand what their position is. So I've seen this a lot in in students and in some consulting clients who they're servicing a service provider. So that provider is going out and providing a quote to their customer and they're using you as their quote. So you have to like understand their needs and what pricing they need and how fast they need shipping and understand that they're going to come to you more than they buy. And that's a good thing because they're, they're coming to you to get pricing so that they can give a quote out to a customer and they're putting a bid out, you know, another person's putting a bid and they might not win the bid. And so if you can keep that line of communication open with them and understand that, oh, that's great. I love that you're trying to win jobs. We're here for you too. And maybe one out of four, 
that they pitch that they win when they're actually coming to you. So you're not depressed when you feel like, Oh man, I got that. Like often, I think oftentimes, and I've been guilty of this myself, is you like count your chickens before they hatch. You get this email and you're like, Oh heck yeah, $30,000 order. And then it falls through. Right. And it might not fall through because you did something wrong. It might fall through because they're working with a customer too. And so, really good to build these deep relationships. And then, you know, I'm working on this with a consultant client, so maybe I'll keep it under the vest, but there's ways that you can leverage the existing relationships to target future relationships and almost provide FOMO to other people who fit that same demographic that you want to reach and bring in even more people who will then use you as your the sole person they get bids from so that they can place bids. And um, that's a little more high level and something we're kind of testing right now. So I look forward to hopefully maybe sharing that in the future because it, it got me really excited when I thought of it. It's not, I think of a lot of ideas, John, I'm, a, I'm very much an idea guy, but that one I was like getting giddy in my chair because I was like, I was getting excited at whatever the muse was putting into me at that time to, to come up with this. And the, the client was getting super excited too. So that was a fun one. Yeah. Awesome. But build those relationships. I look forward to hearing about that. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll tell you <laughs> offline. Uh, next thing is like, they're going to want to use a purchase order. And so I think yeah. we get this question a lot. Where do I go get an invoice? Where do I go get XYZ to like look professional, right? And the answer is simply just go to Google. Like yeah. there, there's Google uh, document, they used to call them add-ons. I'm not sure if they're still called that, but you can literally just type in blank invoice template and it'll be editable. You can pull your logo in there. You can make the invoice any way that you want to. Sometimes the Shopify draft order will work. I've certainly sent a few of those back in the day, but some people want a nice letterhead or something that looks a little more professional. But in the end of the day, you're going back to that draft order for them to pay uh, sometimes they'll use a credit card, which is super nice. Other times they're going to want to wire you or send ACH transfer or things like that. But you have to start with an invoice. And so it's a question we get a lot from students of what do I send? Where do I get this template? Yeah. And there are even uh, some Shopify apps that will like sit in your back end. This is the one time you can use apps because it's not doing anything on your site that will create invoices mm. and quotes for you. Like, you know, a template that you can kind of nice. manipulate and that sort of thing. Um, I, can't remember any names off the top of my head, but if I think of one, I'll put it in the show notes. And if you're on Spotify or on YouTube and you know what app that is, just throw it in the comments or throw it in yeah, the Q&A yeah, section. Absolutely. If you've got a recommendation, put it in there. But there's there's a few of those. Um, and so uh, because like sometimes, yeah, for a business, you, and you can set those up to shoot the invoice off automatically as well. Like after the order, like it'll still send them the, the you know, Shopify template confirmation thing that you get, but it will actually send them a tax invoice which I know in Australia, business customers want to have one of those. Mm. Um, and it'll be a bit more filled out. It'll have like all your ABN information on your business number and all that sort of thing. And they use that when they do their tax. So it'll send that off automatically to them with some of those apps. So I would definitely use one of those probably because um, it's just going to save the customer coming back to you and going, hey, I didn't get an invoice. And because the little order confirmation thing Shopify sends isn't actually quite enough in some places. Right. Yeah. And they're going to want to pay net 32. So if this, if this is your first yeah. time hearing that term, that means they want to pay 30 days after the order has arrived. So I can hear you at home Resistance. chattering your teeth, right? <laughs> oh, how am I going to do this, right? I want to give you a few ways to combat this. And maybe you have some ideas here too, John. So if they ask for net 30, one, you don't have to say yes. Mm -hmm. You can say no. There's nothing wrong with that. You can negotiate and say our policy here is net 15 or net 10, Whatever is comfortable for you. I've gone all the way out to net 90 before. Like currently in my pet supplement business, we have net 90 with Chewy. We don't get a choice in that matter, unfortunately. There was no pushing back on that one. But in your dropshipping business, I've gone down to net zero. They've just, I've said, no, you have to pay for this before I ship it. 
I've lost a sale due to that, but I would say the majority of the time people are like, okay, that's fine. Other times I've had to accept net 30. Uh, the very first sale I ever got that I needed this, I went to my supplier and I just said, hey, here's what I'm looking at. First off, when the when the bid comes to you, the bid's going to everyone else that sells that brand too, right? So when you call your supplier and say, hey, I've got somebody looking for 20 units, they'll go, oh, is it this business? Because they've gotten the same phone call from the other suppliers that are getting bombarded with this, right? So this, this supplier saw that it was coming. Um, without giving me the upper hand, he, he didn't tell me where everyone else was positioned or what they had said on the phone. Hey, we're going to offer it at this. He just, he made a suggestion. Him and I built a really good relationship. And I, again, I'm as green as green can be at this time. And he was just like, I really think you should offer it at this price. That's all he said. And he kind of like, you know, looked me in the eye and was like, I really think you should offer it at this price. And I appreciated that. So I offered it at this price. I won the bid. And then again, I went back to this guy and he was like, I'm so happy for you. Like, I remember my first sales in business, this was impactful. Again, relationships. And he said, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to give you net 30 on this order too. So whenever they pay you, you pay us, we'll float the whole thing. Don't worry about it. And I thought that was so cool that he was willing to stick his neck out for me too. Again, and that was just from being honest. He knew I was only three, four months in business at that point. And then I was, you know, I was trying to figure this out and really trying to create something with my life. And, and he stuck his neck out for me. And so I didn't want to offer net 30 because where was I going to float that one? I didn't have a credit card big enough to put whatever it ended up being like fourteen, fifteen thousand dollars on. I didn't, I didn't have one. I just literally didn't have any that much room on any credit card I had. They weren't going to pay. So I couldn't front it in any way, shape or form. And so had he not stuck his neck out for me, I, I wouldn't have been able to fulfill that order. And so. Um, that's my story with net 30. Certainly I've pushed people to net zero. I don't know if you've had any experience like this, John, where you've, you know, had to negotiate rather than just give in to what they're asking for. Um, actually a lot of my B2B experience, um, in a, most of which was in Australia. So this may be a little bit different to your, uh, your experience in the U S people actually pay up front hmm. a lot of the time. It probably depends on the size of the order and, um, you know, if you're kind of below 10,000, you'll find businesses will often pay up front, um, particularly if they've gone through a quote process. So they may have quoted you from you. They know what the product's going to cost and they've already taken payment from their end user, right? Or part payment. Do you know what I mean? And so, um, but yeah, I certainly have had some, um, where I've had to go, go longer and have some sort of net, 30 or 14 I think I've done in the past and certainly every time I've had that if I didn't already have the ability to do that so the first thing I, and it's one of our do the work things like you should ask your suppliers for that anyway right even if you're not going to use it yourself like every every order it doesn't hurt to just go to your suppliers after you've been working with them for a little while right you've made some sales and maybe you've had the conversation about margins or something by that point the next thing you can ask them is hey if I need to, can I go net 30 on our account? Can I open an account with you? You know, you know who I am now. I'm fairly, I'm trustworthy. I pay bills. I've been paying for all these products, da, da, da. Can we like have the ability? Can we open a, a credit account with you, right? And you don't have to use it for every single order because sometimes I think there's a greater responsibility when you have those and you've really got to stay on top of your books, right? If you're going to do everything on net 30 or net 60 or whatever they offer you. But even if you don't do that, having the approved option to do it, because that way when a business customer calls you and they're like, oh yeah, I don't want to pay for 14 days. Or, oh yeah, 30 days is what we usually do. You can at least have the confidence to say, yeah, I can do that. 
And then you can, you know, go to your supplier and say, hey, you remember that conversation we had that sometimes I would do this? I'd like to do this. My resistance is just boiling up here. I love credit card points. And so like cash back. And so if you do a net 30 with a supplier, they'll be like, yeah, sounds great. But you're going to need to send us a wire or do ACH. You know, but it's beneficial for them. They're saving that 3%. Same way you would like to save that 3% on a big order, right? Love to. I'd also kind of like to get the 2% cash back that is, you know, quote unquote tax free from Capital One. Uh, It's a rebate for them. I, I I like when those rebates add up personally. I yeah. get it. But 3% of that in Australia. 3% on your bottom line is way better than yeah. 2% on the other side, right? Yeah. And so it doesn't really matter. Uh, I've only had that a few times. I've only had a few Maybe it's because I didn't ask. I'm sure it was available to me, but I've, I've never really asked for it just because I was yeah. so used to they just charge my card and I pay it off three yeah. days later when Shopify pays me. I've definitely had suppliers who like wanted me to do it. Hmm. They're like, oh, I'm sick of trying processing these payments for you can you just put it all in one thing at the end of the month Mm. you know and yeah definitely i mean usually that's going to be a um i'm just trying to think if i ever did that through a credit card a lot of the time it's been bank transfer for me um you know and a lot of businesses in australia at least you know pay you via bank transfer as well which is good no shopify no shopify payments fees or paypal fees or anything like that that's nice for sure so I don't have a problem with doing that here, but we don't have great rewards points anyway in Australia. So we have them. If you can get an Amex um, Platinum or something like that, which not everybody can get, particularly early on, but um, yeah, it's not quite a, there's no cash back here. Hmm. You can't get cash back pretty much. There's no cards. There's none of the Capital One or anything like that. So There's some uh, new ones that are interesting in America, but you have to have a decent balance. Like you have to have a $100,000 balance in your checking. Uh, I heard it from Moise Ali, uh, former, he's the one who founded Native Deodorant, if you ever heard of that. And uh, he said they only check once. So he's like, if you, if you have a hundred, that sounds so fucking terrible. <laughs> if you have a hundred thousand dollars, you can just put it in there, get the car with the extra boost. Yeah. It's a Bank of America card. Yeah. And so I think it, I don't even remember, 2.6 or something like that. That's a huge, wow. right? And then you pull your 100K back out and they never check it again, kind of thing. And so um, I don't know, the game's fun in America. There's a lot of ways you can do that. I met somebody recently who was, they had just been traveling like for a couple of years just by doing the point, like getting this card and signing up for this bonus and putting their expenses on here and then moving to this card. And, uh, you know, I think there's a, a I can't even remember the website. There's a bunch of websites back in the day when digital nomading was a bigger thing, right? 2016, 17, 18, 19, before COVID, yeah. it was a big thing. And there was websites all over of here's, here's yeah. all the cards you can open, how you can move it around. And um, I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing in America, but, I, you know, I love it. I love the point hacking. I love the fact that, you can fly anywhere. And so it's, it's interesting that my, there's so much resistance there for me to, <laughs> to paying via ACH or wire transfer and getting that 30 with a supplier, even though I, I think I would give that advice to anyone listening to this, but man, I, I do love points and cash back. It's cool, man. <laughs> when it comes to B2B, I think, again, just reiterating the points here, your acquisition is going to be similar. Look for the different terms that they're using. Make sure you have a place on their website they can go to. Check out LinkedIn. If you want to go to some crazy scrapers, I can I can make an introduction for you. Answer your phone, right? All of this stuff is going to happen on the phone. Build real relationships. It's going to happen in purchase orders, so get ready for that. You're going to likely have to offer terms if you're in the state. Sounds like maybe not so much here, and, and you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. So I don't know. That's it. Is there anything else B2B related you would say? No. I don't, I mean, I don't think so. Like I say, a lot of people have questions about it, but I think it's, you know, there's probably some specific things in really specific industries that we haven't touched on, but 
for from the most part, when I think of all of the high ticket dropships I've worked with who do B two B or B two B and B two C, uh, yeah, it's ninety percent of the process is the same. There's just a few extra little bits and pieces, and it's certainly not something that you should be fearful of. Um, it's a cool thing, and like you said, you're not going to win every single one because it, you know, it's a it's still a competitive process, right? Um, but yeah, even it's certainly somewhere you should go because even like five or six great B2B orders a month can like, re- along with, you know, B2C orders is, is a pretty decent thing. We, we met someone, we're recording this in Noosa after our live event. We met someone here who was erring towards the consumer and, and struggling with profitability. Right. Yeah. And he was like, well, I do get some of these orders. Well, I think people should lean into this and you might be shocked at some of the products you can carry where there is a B2B side to this. And again, just pay attention to your search terms. And you might you might have excluded them, right? We give this long list of terms you should exclude, like used and cheap and things like that in your search terms. But I hope hopefully no one's putting in those other ones that are spotting those and not getting excited when they see bulk or wholesale or Yeah. I think I think the other the other sorry, the other the other thing that people get worried about um, with B2B is that a lot of commercial products can be bigger like bigger versions of the consumer. So if we talk about coffee machines, for example, uh, which I mentioned earlier, you know, the big ones you see in like a restaurant or a, a bar or a cafe or something like that, they need to be installed and they get serviced. Like they're they're plumbed into water and all that sort of thing, right? And there's a lot more, I'm not an expert, but there's a lot more setup involved. And so I think sometimes something to just prepare yourself for is that sometimes when you call up supplies for those products, they're going to ask you, uh, can you manage getting these things installed or mm. serviced? Like, what's your plan for that? Um, and so not that there's a, a one-size-fits-all answer to that that I'm going to give you right now. I think the main thing is just to say yes, because you can work it out. Um, and I think that came up with the fellow you're mentioning here in Australia who was selling the consumer stuff, but didn't really have a good answer for why he wasn't selling the uh um, the the commercial stuff and but that was something he did ask and I there's for every product there's companies that specialize in installing that product right so I mean you think of selling air conditioners let's say like which I wouldn't recommend but there are people whose job is to install air conditioners there are people whose job it is to install and service coffee machines and so it's as simple as if you if you take an order for that machine and um, part of your job is to solve that problem call one of those installation companies and say, hey man, uh, we're selling these products and we're looking for somebody to help us install them. Like, can we work out a fixed rate for this sort of thing in your area? Yeah, cool. Okay, well, every time we get an order, we're going to call you and send you a customer. And you think they're going to say no, you're offering to send them more business, right? And then you get that fixed rate, you can put it on your website as a, as a variant on your product page, like, or an upsell, like customer wants that because they don't know how to do it themselves or whatever. They can just, yep, fixed price. You put it, you can even build a bit of profit into that. I've done that before on an installation service, hundred extra hundred bucks every time I sold it. Um, you make the order, deliver the product, pass that name off to the installation company and they're going to go and do that for you. I got two, two questions. One, yeah. we should have an argument because I would recommend air conditioner. So if you want to do a good niche, bad niche, we should do that <laughs> one. Uh, just a different style maybe than people are thinking in their head. And then two, sure. have you ever had anyone to undercut you? So like the installer likely sells the same shit you're selling. And so even though you have the order in place and everything's good to go, 
Have you ever seen a supplier be like, yeah, we'll do that for you. And then you give them the customer's information and the products on the way. And then they go behind your back and call them and say, we'll do a better price and we'll install it. No. I'd be shocked if it didn't happen at some point. I'm no. sure it happens with somebody. No. I do think you could find an installer network that doesn't sell the things. And I, I probably would lean towards that before I found somebody who's also there, selling it. Somebody's, uh, somebody's going to do that. There too. are several of those in the US. So I've yeah, been part I, of a yeah. business that in, a national in, in, installation business that we worked with for a particular type of product. They had a fixed fixed price to install this product anywhere in the US. Hmm. Was, I think it was like $650 to install it and like put it together. And then, um, yeah, then you just, um, we sold it for $750. It was super easy, and they, they didn't read. They didn't sell anything. Like their business was literally an installation business. There was no supply, and so they never did that. Um, you know, I mean, there, but there's all sorts of things. Like you know, it, it might just even be that it's not an ongoing relationship, and you know, you just it, it's super common. At least here in Australia, like when like a lot of people buy their own products, like for their home, and you're like, oh, I, I just bought. Uh, some lights in my home. I need an electrician to install them. You call up the electrician. Like he comes over, he doesn't get there and go, "Hey man, uh, can you send those lights back? I'm going to sell you some right now." That's not a thing, right? And I, I don't think that happens for business either. I'd be shocked if it didn't happen once in a while. Once in a while, sure. But you know, I mean, but it, it would. Be, you're right. It would be specific products, something that they had in stock. It wouldn't be like send those back. We're going to order these. We'll come back next week, right? That yeah, customer's yeah. going to want them today. That's right. I mean, there that, are installation yeah. networks. There are white glove networks. And in, we're talking in about businesses, right? They've got the product they want it installed. Like, mm. if you're talking about coffee machines, there's no coffee technician running around with a warehouse yeah. full of high-end Italian coffee machines because that's where they all, they all come from Europe, right? Mm. Yeah, sure. There's some retailers that have that but you're not going to be calling them to install your stuff. So I just mean like that's, I'm sure that I could think of a couple of products where I, I could see that happening. Um, but I, I, it wouldn't be something that holds me back from doing that whatsoever. Well, you might see these are getting longer. Uh, we're going to experiment with two a week here in the new year. And so let us know. Do you like these longer formats? Are you consuming more of our podcasts when we do two a week, uh, longer ones than three a week? We're looking for feedback too. I don't think John and I know exactly how to move forward here, but three a week is, uh, it's a lot. Like that's a lot for John and I, John gets up at 6am and gets on these podcasts with me right now. It's not 6am here. It's hot <laughs> as piss. It's four in the afternoon. It's like 85 degrees. Um, so yeah, we're, we're going to try to do some longer ones, go more in depth, tell more stories and, and maybe not do three a week. And, and maybe that's not what you want. So give us feedback. If you're in the YouTube comments or if you're on Spotify or you want to shoot us a DM or if you're in the course already and you're in Slack, let us know what, what you want to hear. Is there a topic we're not covering? Is there more content we could put out? Is it more intense into one subject that we can do for you? Let us know. Hopefully you're liking this new format. Thanks for listening to the Dropship Podcast. You can find all the show notes for this episode at dropshippodcast.com. And if you're ready to take the next step in your dropshipping journey, we invite you to join us inside Dropship Breakthrough, where John and I will walk you through step-by-step -step in starting your own high-ticket dropshipping e-commerce business. But that's not all. Dropship Breakthrough will also teach you everything you'll need to know to grow your business and take it to the next level. So head over to dropshipbreakthrough.com and sign up for our free training that will help you take the first steps towards building and growing your own profitable high-ticket dropshipping business.